You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Hey, thank you, uh, Elliot and worship team. Um, I'm excited to uh, introduce our guest speaker today. Uh, Bill, feel free to kind of come on up. And as he does, I will uh, say a little bit about him. So Bill is the National Director of One Hope Canada. Uh, It's formerly called Canadian Sunday School Mission, CSSM. Um, One Hope Canada is a... Oh, yeah, yeah, come on. I I don't bite. Um, One Hope Canada is... That's not true. (laughs) is a national ministry um, sharing the love gospel of Jesus through 35 camps across the country, community ministries, digital discipleship, and gospel-centered training resources. Each year, they reach more than 30,000 people with the hope of the gospel. Uh, Bill's also married to Bev. They reside in Saskatoon. They have two sons, four grandsons, and a fun little tidbit, one of the sons is on stage. So that's great. This is my dad, by the way, if you didn't catch that. Um, so this is, this is kind of fun. Uh, so, hey, Dad, can I pray for you? And then... That'd be awesome. That'd be, great. God, we, uh, we thank you for the state. Uh, thank you for my dad, for um, uh, just the role he's played in my life. And Jesus, as he uh, opens your good word, would you uh, just fill him with the confidence of um, one who is a child of the living God? Mm. So Jesus, bless his words, and, uh, and, and God, give us uh, listening hearts to hear uh, the truth um, that your spirit would impress upon us this morning. And we pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brendan. That was kind of like a surreal moment right there. That was awesome. Thank you. You know, Brendan and Jocelyn, they just bring Bev and I such joy. Um, and I want to thank you as a, as a church family. You are an answer to... Uh, Bevan, my prayers for Brandon and Jocelyn. Uh, for those of you who have kids that are older and they, you know, they, you kind of have this, at least Bev and I did, we had this perception that, you know, we're going to work hard, we're going to parent our kids, and when they turn 18, that job's done. Um, those who are laughing know exactly what I mean, because it's not done. The difference is you have fewer tools in the toolbox. Grounding doesn't work when they're 23 very well. Um, but it just drives you to your knees to pray for your kids, you know? And so we pray that Brendan, as he traveled and he landed here and met Jocelyn, and they started life together, we pray that they would have a love for one another and even more so a growing love for Jesus and that would be expressed in the community. And that you as a community would build into their lives as they had an opportunity to build into yours. And so you are an answer to the prayers that Bev and I prayed. So thank you for that. Um, (laughs) This this morning, you've been doing that summering series, uh, camping. And uh, yeah, I think the great thing about summer is it does get you out of your normal routine, right? You get to have different rhythms to maybe explore in different ways uh, your relationship with, with Jesus and to press deeper into that. I think summer uh, camping does that in, in a lot of ways, Bible camps. 
Uh, when you have kids that end up, uh, you know, getting out of their comfort zone, but still in a safe place and trying new things, like whether it's learning to swim for the first time or learning to ride a horse, maybe uh, screaming down a zip line, whatever it is, God, they're doing something new out here. And then God often does something new in here. And it's so exciting to see. Uh, this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to look at Jesus taking a holiday with his parents, so to speak. In our text here, Jesus is a preteen. He is 12 years old. And we're going to look at what does that mean for the Son of God to be a 12-year-old boy and just unpack that a bit. We're confronted in a really wonderful, mysterious way with the humanity of Jesus in this account that Luke, who is a physician and also a historian, records for us. And I think sometimes as believers, we may have the opposite problem as, as the disciples of Jesus when it comes to grasping that Jesus was fully God and fully man. The disciples would have got his humanity quite easily, right? They were right there with them. They saw him get tired and need sleep. They saw him get hungry and need food. They saw his heart break when his friend Lazarus died and he cried. They got his humanity. They took a little bit to get the fact that he was also fully God. I, I think for us, maybe we grasp, at least initially, that, okay, yeah, Jesus is God. We forget also the truth that Jesus is fully man. And if we fail to ponder on the humanity of our Savior, we miss so much of the good news. And here's why. The good news begins with a stunning truth that the second person of the Trinity, of the triune God, willingly, joyfully takes on human flesh. No longer is the invisible God going to be invisible. For in Jesus, the invisible God is made visible. And it's not the incarnation. That's what theologians call it, right? The incarnation was not a 33-year experiment. Jesus continues to be forever united with humanity. Two natures, the divinity of God and the humanity of creation are forever united in the person of Jesus, fully God and fully man. And we're going to see that on full display here because as we will see and as we are just pondering on this truth, we realize that the one to whom all creation submits becomes the son of man who submits to earthly imperfect parents. The one whose voice commands the seas to be still and they obey is the same one who listened to his parents and he cleaned up after supper or helped look after his little brothers. And the one who knows all things and existed before time began also is a 12-year-old boy who is learning from elders. This is amazing. This is what we'll discover in our text. So if you have your Bibles or if you want to follow along, I believe it'll be up on the screen. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. 
Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When the parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to um, discover uh, three things here. We're going to drill down on them. And they were up on the screen just earlier. We're going to discover the importance of children's spiritual lives, the significance of identity, and the hope of Jesus in mission. So let's, let's unpack that first one. If, if you go back to verse 40, uh, Luke in one sentence describes Jesus' first 12 years, okay? In 39, he's, Jesus is a baby, and in 41, he's 12 years old. And in this one sentence, this is how Luke describes. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So we see Jesus is growing, right? There's normal human development taking place, which means parents are caring for his needs, right? Physically and emotionally and spiritually. And we see that here because in the next verse, Luke introduces us to a new scene, and it's a scene where Mary and Joseph are taking opportunities to build spiritually into Jesus. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. So this isn't like a one-off time, right? Every year, they would make this trip. And here, he's 12 years old. He's heading Jerusalem, as he'd done many, many times before. And their destination is not just the holidays, it's not going to the city. They're going there to be with God's people, to remember and to remind each other and celebrate what God's done in the past. And so we can easily imagine, okay, let's just use some sanctified imagination here, staying true to Scripture. We can easily imagine young Jesus in one of these trips, walking along with his parents and asking his parents, why are we going to Jerusalem? What's with this Passover? And Mary or Joseph would explain that every year the people of God would go to Jerusalem to celebrate and remember God's rescuing their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. And God did that by judging all those in Egypt for their sins by taking the lives of the oldest child in the family. And the only way God's judgment would pass over that household was if that family would sacrifice a lamb and place some of that lamb's blood on the doorpost of that home. And so you see, Jesus, they would explain, the oldest male in the family would be saved from death only if a substitute, a lamb, took their place. And then we could see young Jesus thoughtfully responding, hmm, and then, can I go play with my friends? Being committed Jews, as Mary and Joseph were, they would take every opportunity to build into their kids' lives, into their spiritual lives, to train their children who God is, just as their parents had done to them and just as Moses had commanded. And there's this great 
exhortation that Moses gives the people of Israel in his kind of his final, um, his final charge to them before he passes away. And it's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you are to be on your hearts. And the, listen to this. Impress them on your children. And in another part of his charge, he says, on your children's children, so on your grandkids. Talk about them when you're at home, when, you're, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Like, aren't those great verses? Like, it talks about, like, theology, doctrine is important. So we're not just passing on to our kids some, like, spiritual belief. We're actually teaching them who God is as revealed in his word, as seen fully in Jesus. Love the Lord your God. So we're not talking some, like, head religion. We're talking something that is going to so stir your heart, your entire being, that it, it moves you. And then we impress them on our kids. There's intentionality and purpose to it. It doesn't just happen. And look at all the different contexts, right? When you're sitting at home, when you're walking, when you're going to sleep, when you're waking up. This would have been the playbook, okay, for Mary and Joseph in raising Jesus from infancy to youth. And then when a Jewish boy was 12, he began a very special year because it would lead up to him being 13 when he'd become a young man, a son of the law. He'd become a member of the synagogue. And he would assume the full responsibilities of being the covenant people of God. And it was during this year that the boy's father would take particular attention in training their son to be sure that he was ready and understood the way of the Lord. Now, jump down to 46. You'll see the kind of job that Mary and Joseph did, right? So after they find him, 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and at his answers. He was listening with them, right? He was answering them questions, and they were amazed. Jesus had been trained well by Mary and Joseph. Now, I've taken a little bit of time to kind of just walk through this, so that the training that Jesus would have had given by Mary and Joseph to highlight this super important truth. The spiritual life does not have a certain age when the switch is flipped. Being born in the image of God means that we're not only born physically, but also as mental, emotional, and as spiritual beings. And our capacity in all these areas grows with time. And that's why it's so important to care for our entire kids that are in our lives, whether that's us caring for them as a church family or as our own kids or grandkids or, or nieces and nephews. We have to care for them, not just physically and emotionally, but also spiritually, even at times when it may feel a little unnatural. And, and I say that because um, One Hope Canada has been involved in a couple of studies, and, and the one study that we just recently finished was on faith formation in, in kids and in families, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Well, one of the things that came out in that study was that there's a lot of Christian parents who are afraid of, and maybe it's because they themselves are raised in like really overly strict homes, but they're afraid that if they teach their kids too much about Jesus, that their kids will end up rejecting Christianity. And so from that fear, from not maybe knowing how or not feeling natural, they, they pull back and they say, you know what, we're just going to let our kids discover on their own what they believe. And here's the sad thing about that, right? 
society and culture, they're like tireless teachers of our kids. It's like an unseen current below a lazy river, right? It can like quickly carry you away. If we don't give our kids spiritual anchors, they can be carried away. <laughs> you and I can be carried away if we don't have those spiritual anchors. So how do we get those spiritual anchors to hold us firm to the truth? Well, I think it goes back to Deuteronomy 7 there. Remember that? How, how the idea that caring for our children's spiritual needs has got to be more than just family devotions and praying before a meal. It's got to be our own hearts so stirred by the love of Christ and what he's done for us that we are generous to those around us and our kids see that. We have to be intentional and we have to be taking those opportunities to speak into our kids' lives and telling them what Jesus means for us in the day-to-day -day of life. In 2012, there was a hemorrhaging faith study that revealed that so many kids as they grew up in Christian homes actually leave and stop going and not being part of a church community anymore. Now, the second biggest factor in, in having them connect to a church when they're in their young adults is being involved in a summer camp ministry or, or a short-term mission trip or they're, or they're very involved in the leadership. That's the second most important factor. Guess what the most important factor is? The parents, the grandparents, a caring, loving adult who is part of their lives and integrates their relationship with Jesus in everyday language. And so the one example that there's many in this study, but the one example is this young adult as a teenager, she remembers her mom coming home. And just before they said grace before the meal, her mom said, ah, can we also pray for Sue? Sue, I work with and, and her marriage is falling apart. I just want her to know Jesus and their marriage to be restored. That, that simple fact of making the faith relationship that I have with God and it making it a difference in my everyday work life, that simple example made a lasting impression on that young teenager. As parents, as grandparents, as a church family who are building into our kids, we have an opportunity to train and be intentional about training our kids spiritually, about how important that Jesus is to us and that we treasure him above all else. That study that I was mentioning earlier, the faith formation study, we asked a very open-ended question to um, hundreds and hundreds of Christian parents. When do you find that you have the most organic, natural conversations about faith with your kids or your grandkids? It was open-ended, like there was no leading you know, questions, no A, B, or C. This was the overwhelming, similar response from hundreds of these, these um, parents and grandparents that were asked. Around the dinner table, as long as there's no tech, in the car, at bedtime. Does that sound familiar? When you're sitting at home, when you're walking, when you lie down. The spiritual life of our kids, whether they're our kids, our grandkids, or the kids in your church, matter. The work that those people that are volunteering their time to the nursery and the children's church it's more than giving you an opportunity here to have your lives enriched by the word of God. It is building into them. And we pray that their lives will be forever transformed and they will love Jesus. So let's move on to our, our story here because we get to the, 
this is the good stuff, right? Like this is like the, this is the, of, of the story of Luke's account. After the festival was over, while the parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they're unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Okay, some context here. It wouldn't be just Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus and his brothers, okay? They always traveled with friends and family. From Nazareth, they would make the trip every year to Jerusalem. So there's a big group of them. Women would often go ahead of the men. The men would follow up in a separate group afterwards. So totally, like this, this just makes sense, right? Jesus, Joseph is thinking Jesus is with Mary. Mary's thinking Jesus is with Joseph. They get together at the end of the day. Hey, where's Jesus? I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. We get like the home alone moment 2,000 years before the movie, right? You can imagine the shock. But it's just like so natural. So that, besides being an awkward conversation between Mary and Joseph, would have led to a lot of stress, would have led to Mary and Joseph returning the next day. They couldn't travel at night, way too dangerous. They're going to take another day. They have to climb up. Jerusalem is up on, uh, the elevation is higher, so it's going to take a full day to get back to Jerusalem, and then they're going to take a day looking for Jesus. So after those three days, they find him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. So how did the parents respond when they found Jesus? When his parents saw him, they were astonished. Now that word, I think it's, it, it doesn't quite do justice. It's a bit of an undersell because in the original language, it literally means left at a loss, gasping at amazement. And then his mother says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then Jesus responds, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? That's a really interesting exchange, right? Because did we catch the, like, the play on words there? Mary is saying, hey, your father and I, we were looking for you. And Jesus responds, why? I was in my father's house. Jesus has chosen this crucial time in his life at age 12 on the brink of manhood to tell his parents in an unforgettable way that he knows who his father is. Now, Mary and Joseph would have known that Jesus was conceived in a mysterious way by the Holy Spirit. But think of it. They had spent 12 years raising Jesus, caring for Jesus. He depended upon them, right? He needed them. He was learning from them. Yeah, sure, he was always obedient, right? Didn't have to be told twice. But in so many ways, he was like a normal kid. And we're going to see in a little later that Mary, though, in her heart of hearts, knew something was different. And we begin to see it here. And just as Jesus was about to become a man in the Jewish community, he looks heavenward for his identity. And Jesus is doing what any preteen does. He's beginning to get a sense of self. Or he's beginning to understand the world around him. And he knows who his true father is. And he's beginning to realize the mission that he's being sent on by his father. 12-year-old Jesus is getting a sense of his identity. Now, we use the word identity a lot these days, right? Maybe sometimes in disparaging ways. But 
Think of it. Think of the songs we sang this morning that Elliot led us in. So many of those were songs that talked about our identity. I'm a child of God. Scripture is full of identity statements. Parent, child, son of God, children of God, saint, beloved. Like even names through the Bible carry with them meanings, and that meaning gives that person identity. And identity is, is important because it's tied closely to human rationality. And rationality is what separates us as image bearers of God from the animals. Animals make decisions based on instinct. Men and women, we make decisions because we can be rational, logical. Reason thinking can guide those decisions and actions. And identity plays an important role in our decision making because it helps us understand the world around us. Identity gives meaning to ourselves and to others. It helps us understand from our perspective what's happening around us, and it guides our actions. And the Bible, from the beginning, as image bearers, shows us and tells us we are created first and foremost to get our identity vertically from our Creator. And when Adam and Eve, when they chose to disobey God, they were doing way more than just eating, eating some forbidden fruit. They were rejecting their identity as creatures of the Most High God, and they were building into an identity that did not have God at the center. And with that sad rejection, right, humanity's identity and quest for identity turned into this tangled state of confusion. And so today, and you will know this when we're honest with ourselves, right? Today, there's a pull within all of us to look horizontally or internally for what we were designed to find vertically. We ask people and places and things and even our own hearts to do what us to find our identity where we are meant to find it in our creator. And it's been that way since Adam and Eve rejected God's design, right? But what if, what if there was one who from the beginning, consistently through life, always finds their identity vertically? We see Jesus at 12 years old being that one. Why did you have to search for me, Mom? Didn't you know that I would be in my Father's house? You see how Jesus lived the life on earth that we were created to live, but we can't? Jesus, every thought, every action, every word came from a place of knowing beyond doubt that he was a son of God and that his father delighted in him. And that identity shaped not only his thoughts, but every action he took. And that leads us to the wonderful hope that we have because Jesus is on mission. You know that phrase, um, in my father's house, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It's got a double meaning in Greek. It can also be translated, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business or about my father's mission? See, 12-year-old Jesus was getting the sense of not only who he was, his identity, but also the fact of the mission that his father had sent him on. And notice Mary's words, though, after they find him, right? Why did you treat us like this? Your father and I, we've been anxiously searching for you. 
And that word there for anxious, it can literally be translated a very painful and consuming sorrow. So that's what Mary and Joseph were experiencing in those days, painful, consuming sorrow, that intense stuff, that overwhelming emotion that just shuts you down. I, I think we can relate to that, right? Those experiences in our life that is just so overwhelming that we can't seem to put one foot in step, in foot, sorry, one foot in front of the other. The pain is just so intense. This is Mary and Joseph. This is this overwhelming, consuming sorrow. And maybe this morning, maybe this morning you're in a place like that. Well, there's hope. Because notice Jesus' response to his mother Mary. Why were you looking for me? Or some translations will actually say, but why did you need to search for me? Didn't you know that I would be about my father's mission, my father's business? See, at the heart of this interaction between Mary and Jesus, oh man, we can relate, right? Because when we are in that place of like this consuming sorrow, when we have, we're anxious about something, when, when, we have, when we're tempted just to shut down, we're saying, why? Why is this happening? Where are you? And we fail to realize that Jesus is right here going about his father's mission, going about his father's business. And notice how Mary and Joseph respond then to Jesus' words. They didn't understand what he was saying. They didn't get it. And that wouldn't be the last time that Jesus' earthly family wouldn't get what he was doing. 18 years later, he would begin the public part of his father's business. And his earthly family thought that he had kind of lost his mind, and so they were about to do an intervention. And Luke records for it in chapter 8 how we see Jesus, he continues resting in, in his father's identity, even though it would bring his family pain and confusion, he did not let that deter him from what he had to do. And then in Luke chapter 9, the 33-year-old Jesus sets his faith, face with determination towards Jerusalem for the Passover. But this time it's not with his parents, right? So it's with his disciples. And in Luke chapter 22, Luke records Jesus celebrating that Passover as he had done dozens of times, right? Even when he was 12. But this time he knew it would be his last because the Passover from this point forward would take on a new meaning and even a richer significance. The bread and the cup that Jesus had partaken of dozens of times, the meal that Mary and Joseph would have explained to him, that meal would become a symbol of his broken body and his blood spilled for you and me so we would have a new way of relating to God. And after the Passover, Jesus would not go to the temple to seek out teachers as he had when he was 12. He would go to the garden with his disciples. And his disciples would fall asleep on him. And he'd be left alone to experience consuming sorrow, even greater than what Mary had experienced those days. And in that consuming sorrow, Jesus cried out, Father, is there any way, let it be so. But he rested in his identity because he ended that prayer with saying, but not my will, yours be done. 
And on that day in the temple when Mary found Jesus and she did not understand Jesus' response, but you'll notice that in verse 51, she did treasure these things in her heart. Years later, Mary, imagine, standing at the foot of the Roman cross, maybe not fully understanding what's going on, but she would hear Jesus talk again about his father's mission, his father's business. And what would he say? It is finished. And just as Mary had known that pain of being separated from her son for those three days, Jesus would be separated from his heavenly father on that cross, the perfect, spotless, ultimate Passover lamb, his blood staining not a doorframe this time, but a cross. And he would free us, not from some earthly king's rule, but from worse, from the slavery of sin and death that has us in chains. And so Jesus, who had forever the perfect favor of God, his father went to the cross and God's favor was turned away from Jesus. And Jesus in his human nature experienced that separation from God. He experienced it for the first time. And God's wrath and punishment, the same wrath and punishment that we deserve for our sin was poured out on Jesus. Yet, because Jesus finished his father's mission, we now have the same favor that rests on Jesus. Do you realize that the, when you trust Jesus, and, and that's, a, that's a decision we make every day when our feet hit the ground, will we trust him? When we trust Jesus, the affection, the tenderness, the delight, the favor of God the Father on Jesus is the exact tenderness, delight, affection of God the Father on you. That is where our identity rests. And if you're here this morning and, man, maybe you found yourself like Mary, right? It's been really hard. There's so much pain and confusion. If you've got, like, the question of why in your heart and you don't understand, or maybe you've simply just pushed God to the margins, right, because life is too hard. The word of God we reflected on this morning has this truth for you. The God who created you is not far from you. He is near. He is going about his father's mission. And that father's mission is for you to know him more and in knowing him to experience the true joy and for you to treasure him more. Jesus is going about that mission still today. And the question we ask ourselves is will we trust him? Will we trust them? No matter what you've experienced this past week, what's brought you here, what you'll experience in the coming week, will you treasure Jesus? If you're still not sure, just one more thought to consider. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now for you? He is still faithfully going about his Father's mission. The writer of Hebrews says this, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede or to pray for them. Jesus is praying for you. And he's not praying for you as someone who doesn't know you. For the one who created you is praying for you. 
And he's praying for you, not as someone who doesn't understand what you're going through, because Jesus experienced the human experience. He has groaned your groans. He's cried your tears. And Jesus is praying for you, not as someone who doesn't know what to ask on your behalf. For he's a perfect high priest. And in Hebrews, it talks about him being your elder brother, always asking in will with the Father what is absolute best for you. He's bringing you by name before the Father. Do you hear him say your name? Do you, do you hear him say, she's my little sister. He's my kid brother. This is Jesus on mission for you. And his prayer will ensure that your faith will finish strong until that final resurrection day when our faith is made sight. And finally, with eyes that can see, we will behold the Lamb of God. We will touch Jesus. And together, together we will bow before him and in one voice say, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God. This is the hope that we have. This is the hope that we can pass on to the next generation. Will you treasure Jesus today? Let's pray. So Father, I thank you for your plan of salvation that you established before the creation of the world. Jesus, I thank you for not being a reluctant savior, but joyfully, willingly coming to take on the human experience, and be united with us, your creation forever. Thank you for living the life that we so desperately want to, but we can't. Thank you for, through your spirit, uniting us with one so that we have the same relationship. We are viewed the same by your Father as you are. And Father, I pray for each heart that's here this morning and for the kids that are in the other room. Oh, God, through your Holy Spirit, may you transform us to treasure you more each day. God, work and stir in our hearts. Give us the courage to walk away from those things that are pulling us back from you. Give us the motivation to run to you. Let us know you more. Let us treasure you more. Let us love you more. We can only do this through your grace. And so we ask and we acknowledge our need for you. In your son's beautiful name, amen.